Any views or opinions expressed in this podcast are strictly the views or opinions of the presenter. Nothing in here is the view of the firms, corporations, financial entities that anybody represents. Uh, Nothing expressed here is a view of any um, regulator or semi-regulatory agency. Uh, All content is intended to be educational. Nothing in this episode construes specific investment advice. And if you do require advice, you should seek an appropriate advisor, be that a financial planner or a tax advisor or possibly a lawyer. Is I've seen cases where adding on dental, optional dental, actually lowers the cost of the plan. I don't know why that is. I think it might be an error on the actual pricing of it. But if you look at the plan without optional dental, and then you add on optional dental, it actually lowers the cost. This episode of the CE Drive podcast is brought to you by Business Career College. Business Career College is a leading provider of financial services education, including the life insurance licensing program, the entire set of courses leading to the CFP certification, which is actually where I spend most of my time teaching, and where I have met many of the participants in these podcasts. We also provide continuing education credits, live classroom and webinar instruction in support of the Elder Planning Counselor designation, and a few other odds and ends in support of folks in the financial services industry. You can find the full catalog of course offerings at www.businesscareercollege.com. It's Jason Watt. Welcome back to the CE Drive podcast. Uh, In this episode, I'll be working with uh, Evan Morgan. Evan is a fellow I've known for a long time, and he reached he recently um, launched his entrepreneurial venture here, Compare Health. It's very cool. Uh, the credits for this episode, uh, life insurance credits in all jurisdictions, except Alberta, where it'll be good for an ANS credit. We talk almost exclusively about individual health and dental insurance here. So an ANS credit in Alberta, It'll be good for an IAS credit, uh, financial planning credit from FP Canada, IROC professional development credit, and an insurance credit from MFDA. Uh, the object, kind of a weird one today. So I've been kicked out of my office. Uh, my granddaughter needed her own bedroom. So um, we gave up my office. I gave up my office and I've moved downstairs into a room that's sort of my wife's workshop and whatever. We're going to transform it into my office. Um, make sure I still qualify for the work from home deduction or home office deduction. Anyways, um, this guy right here, right here, there it is. This is the corner of my wife's uh, degree. My wife is a graduate of the University of Nebraska. That's her degree. So the object for today is a degree. All right. Uh, the interview is uh, pretty long, just about an hour. So we'll get to it. Uh, thanks very much. Enjoy my conversation with Evan. I'm here today with Evan Morgan. Evan is a uh, tech entrepreneur, insure tech entrepreneur. I'm not sure exactly how you define yourself now, but uh, <laughs> sounds good uh, to me. Based in, <laughs> perfect. Uh, based in Winnipeg, and actually, I've known you for quite a while, Evan, from your background as an insurance agent. That's right. Yeah, yeah, quite a number of years now. I'd say going on eight or nine years. Yeah, in that ballpark. That's good. I, I love to make those connections, and glad to see the connection uh, persist through your change in career here. So um, is there anything that you should tell us about yourself that I didn't mention in our in my brief intro? Yeah, no, that's that's basically it. Uh, I was in, so my name is Evan Morgan, yeah, from Winnipeg. And uh, I was in financial services for eight years. And that's how you and I uh, first met through the professional development days that uh, the insurer I worked for uh, put on every year. And then, yeah, last November, I left financial services to pursue Compare Health, uh, which is the uh, software tool that I came up with. And uh, yeah, here we are today. Um, so we talked about this a little bit before we started recording. You said you're on sort of version 2.0 as far as your ideal client. Can you tell us who your ideal client is today and maybe a little bit about this um, evolution? Yeah, absolutely. So If you would have asked me this question two months ago, I would have told you my ideal client for this comparison software that compares personal health insurance was going to be managing general agencies or MGAs. 
MGAs. Because uh, I know MGAs, their big pitch is they want to add value to advisors' practices. And my thought was, great, you know, if an advisor ever comes across a personal health insurance opportunity, which I know for a lot of advisors doesn't come up too often, they would call up the MGA, the MGA would prepare a quote, and then send it to the advisor, and then the advisor would be able to review all the info, make changes, and then it was sort of a win-win-win situation for everyone involved. Uh, but what I found in talking with all of these MGAs is, um, you know, a lot of them just didn't seem to have an appetite for it, especially since it wasn't that commonly of a product sold. They would rather have those costs be pushed to the advisor. At least that's the impression I got. So I, since that point, probably from about a month ago, there has been this big change to now focus on going after the advisors. And what's been very fascinating about talking with a number of advisors is the variability when it comes to personal health insurance. So you have these advisors that do maybe one or two sales a year. Some will do, you know, have one or two leads a month. And then on the other side of that, you have these advisors that are kind of lead machines that are doing, I've heard up to like 2000 leads a month in personal health insurance. So trying to cater this platform for people who don't sell these products very often, and they're not high commission products to these high, you know, lead volume machines of, of selling personal health insurance. So it's been, yeah, so that's, that's my focus now is looking at uh, going after the advisors directly and and them using this tool in their own platform, very similar to how they use other comparison platforms for, for other insurance products. How are you connecting with those folks? Like, how do you find the people that are out there doing a ton of uh, personal health insurance work? Yeah, so uh, part of it has been my warm market. So the nice thing about being in financial services for quite a number of years is uh, you know, continuing on some of those discussions with those colleagues. And uh, I mean, ComparaHealth didn't start as software, it started as an Excel spreadsheet. And I remember a conversation I had with you five years ago, I think it was like four or five years ago, talking about, is this something you think would work well? Because it's, you know, a situation that I came across when I was helping my mom find the plan. And that was the light bulb moment. Uh, but just to see if it was a problem for other advisors. Yeah, that's that's basically kind of how it uh, it started and finding advisors that way. And then the other side of it right now is uh, LinkedIn, surprisingly. So I've been really trying to push content through there, uh, different posts about, you know, did you know this about personal health insurance? Because there's a lot of interesting tidbits. And I feel like that's actually been a very surprising way uh, to grow my network. I, I kind of didn't think much of, of LinkedIn being used for that purpose, but that's actually been really good. And then the goal, uh, once I launch this, is I actually want to go back to those MGAs and say, hey, look, I have this platform. Uh, if you're willing to promote this as a tool to your advisors, here's a code that you can use and it'll knock off a couple bucks uh, if an advisor decides to purchase. And I've seen this with some MGAs doing this with other softwares, like, hey, for you being an affiliated advisor with our MGA, here's a promo code, and it'll knock off a certain dollar amount. And then, you know, that's kind of that win-win. So that's kind of how I think I can open up the network a little bit more, but otherwise cold calling. And I like that part of it too, is just picking up the phone and saying hi to people and uh, seeing where that goes. I'm curious, Evan, if you have a sense of, what is it that, you know, you talk about like the lead machines that you mentioned versus, you know, your typical advisor, because I agree, most people do almost no personal health insurance business. So give a sense of what uh, differentiates the person who's able to go and find so much opportunity in the personal health insurance space. Yeah. So if you were to search, do a Google search for compare personal health insurance Canada, you're going to come across two or three companies that are meant for consumers going on. They're looking for a health plan. Uh, they input very basic details. And then basically they're they're packaging this lead and then they're shipping it off to a brokerage or to an advisor that can 
basically take that info and convert them into hopefully a sale. Uh, so I've seen that. There are also some, they call themselves an MGA or brokerage that sell uh, almost proprietary health and dental plans. So plans that are only offered through this one brokerage. Uh, so it's, and I know they get a lot of business as well, and they rank pretty high when you Google it. So they seem to kind of position themselves when you type in personal health insurance of basically wanting all of these leads coming through, but that's not the ideal or not, not the ideal. That's not the typical situation you find. Uh, you typically find people, uh, you know, and, and what's been kind of surprising to me too is you have advisors that would do, you know, kind of a lead or two kind of drops on their lap and they just want to help out. And then you also have this other category of advisors that are in the group benefit space and they have a good relationship, not only with the employers, but all of the employers members as well. Cause I mean, this was something I remember when I sold group, it was like, think of the cross-selling opportunities. Well, Part of that cross-sell is if they ever leave their employer, are they leaving because of retirement? Are they leaving because they're coming self-employed? And we're seeing that more and more. So that presents also a unique opportunity to say, this is a potential lead to look at a rollover product or a personal health plan. And uh, if it's a product that people don't commonly sell and there's a lot of variability, is there a tool that can help both a client and advisor get to that purchasing decision a lot faster? Can you talk about the pricing model for um, Comparel? Yeah. So right now, the pricing model is a tiered approach. Because um, oh, I guess just to back up a little bit. So looking at other comparison softwares out there, it has to be proportional to the demand and need and how often the product is sold. So you think about life insurance and there's two prominent comparison software platforms that are out there and both are uh, equally great. And you look at their pricing model and the type of advisor that would use it. And then you look at, well, what is the volume or percentage of an advisor's business selling life insurance? And chances are it's a very high percentage. So I didn't want to outprice these particular platforms because, well, it doesn't make sense to do that if it's not a commonly sold product. Uh, but I also wanted to cater and look at, okay, I don't think kind of a flat amount for everyone, whether somebody's doing one sale a month or somebody's doing 2000 a month makes sense either. Uh, and then the third variable on top of that is I wanted this to be, I call it the candy bar analogy. So imagine you go into a grocery store, you have your list of items you bought, that's what you wanted, that's what you needed. You're at the checkout, everything is on the conveyor. And what do you see? You see a chocolate bar, right? And you're like, it's not that expensive. You know, I think this is going to be a really good decision. You don't think much about that decision and you throw it on the conveyor belt. This is what I want Compare Health to be. I wanted it to be something where it's like the pricing just makes sense. It's not, not going to be something where they're paying more into the service than the potential value, in this case, commission they're getting out. So the standard tier model, and it's based on the number of what I call generated client quotes that are created. Uh, it's going to be 20 bucks a month. And that will provide five generated client quotes. So you create a new client, uh, the client's date of birth, province and client sex locks, but all other information can be manipulated for 60 days. So if a client says, well, you know, add my spouse now, remove my spouse, show me it with these plan preferences, that doesn't count as a new generated client quote, it's all under that same umbrella. Uh, so they would get five each month, and that's for 20 bucks. And then, you know, if there's um, a promo code that I'm offering, it would knock off $5 off of that. So 15 bucks a month. And then uh, for the um, different models, it's based on kind of a higher volume need. So if you're producing more quotes in a month, then the cost per quote will drop dramatically. It's kind of like Costco, you're buying in bulk. And then one of the other features that I'm adding that's only available, all, uh, not on the starter $20 a month tier, but the next one would be 25 bucks a month before the discount is a feature I'm calling the client quoter, uh, which is basically a link advisors can send their clients and clients can run their own comparisons. Because some clients, 
They don't necessarily want to have the advisor involved early on. They just kind of want to know their options. So the advisor allows the client to do that, uh, to compare options. And then if the client needs help, then the advisor can go into their system and you know, see what they've chosen and, and help run comparisons, shortlist, export reports, things like that. Sure. Um, that's a good ex- explanation. I wonder about, you know, because we price at 20 bucks a month too um, for the podcast subscription. And I always wonder if that's the sort of like, is that the no pain point, right? And I'm, I don't know, Evan, I'm curious about this, but. Yeah, well, it, it's, it's a t- tough question, right? Because I don't want to underprice my product to the point that I, you know, I, I'm not making any money, but on the same time, I don't want to overprice it to the point where it just, it doesn't make sense. And yeah, that's the million dollar question. Where in that range do you put it where it's kind of a, a no pain point. And in the conversations I had, most people make decisions. I mean, this is basically what I heard. If it's between 10 to 20 bucks a month, it's kind of a no brainer. People just do it. It's not that big of a pain point. And I'm choosing to actually charge it monthly and not even offer an annual period because, and and this might be a little controversial to say, Jason, but I can say it because I was in that category for eight years. Advisors are cheap, right? So, you know, and I was no different. I had a hard time uh, spending money uh, that I didn't necessarily see the immediate return on investment on. Um, so I wanted to cater to people like me where it's like, okay, this is a tool that I think could help. It could potentially be a sales generating machine. At least that's the goal at the end of the day. So what is that price point that would make sense? And that's kind of why I landed on 20 bucks a month to start. But uh, it's a big hypothesis, right? It's it's tough to say. It is. I, um, yeah, we'll see what kind of pushback we get on advisors are cheap, but it's, uh, I, I'd love to have a strong reason to disagree with you here. Um, <laughs> yeah. So no knock advisors, you know, I love you. Um, so um, where'd the impetus come from? Where'd the what, sorry? The impetus, where'd the idea come from? How'd you, how'd you come up with this thing? Yeah, so it was basically, you know, any entrepreneur or anyone who comes up with a business idea, there's t- typically that aha moment when they're trying to solve a problem. And I mean, that entrepreneurship hat didn't come off when I started with Sun Life. It's, it's the reason I actually chose to uh, work in a career in financial services and chose Sun Life because it's they seem to really cater to my entrepreneurial spirit uh, when I joined the business. So when I was in working and uh, it was actually from my mom retiring, uh, so she had 40 years under her belt of service. And when she retired, she's like, Evan, I need help finding a health plan. And the good thing with Sun Life is I was able to broker personal health plan. So I wasn't tied to just Sun Life's products. Uh, I could look at any products available out there. So I looked at a number of different options. And my mom even had the option of looking at retiree benefits offered through her employer, which is pretty rare. Uh, You don't see that a lot anymore, uh, where employers are offering retiree benefits. But, you know, the typical Tim Hortons talk, People always have advice they want to give you about things, you know, anything financial, including, you know, the retiree benefits being offered. And the consensus was mixed. Some people liked it. Some people hated. Uh, but my mom had a very specific list of needs. She wanted certain paramedical practitioners covered. Uh, she wanted, you know, basically X, Y, Z. And when I was looking at some of the different options, either it would exclude some of the things she wanted the costs were too much. And then my dad, who's a big kind of spreadsheet whiz, and I think that's kind of where I get the analytical side on, you know, kind of building my own platform. He made a very simple, uh, you know, spreadsheet. He kind of tried to put everything apples to apples. He spent hours on it. And, And that was kind of the aha moment. Like their pain point is not unique. You know, this is something that's very common when people retire or they have a big life change where they need to start looking at plans. There was a lot of moving pieces with all these different plans. Um, So that's where I decided I'm going to build this as a spreadsheet, see if it works. And that kind of opened up the doors for me to realize, oh my goodness, there's a lot of moving parts here, not only on the benefits, but how rates are calculated and looking at all these variabilities. And then, you know, when you plug in the info, you can have very different results 
if you have somebody in their 20s versus a couple in their 60s or a big family, you know, with four kids and which ones tend to come out on top from a pricing perspective, from a benefits perspective. So there's enough variability in moving parts where it's like, okay, I think there's, I think there's something more here. And then kind of asking those questions to kind of the broader you know, advisors and other colleagues like yourself, it, it seemed to be a problem that was, uh, you know, not just unique to me. Um, so, you know, you're, you're talking about your dad and giving you maybe this love of spreadsheets. Um, do you have a strong technology background yourself or did you have to learn everything? Do you outsource all your tech? What, what happens here with your relationship with technology, Evan? Yeah, so I, I don't know anything like when it comes to software coding and different software languages, that is not my strength at all. Uh, my strength is in uh, numbers and understanding uh, spreadsheets and calculations. So I was able to build basically a prototype of Compare Health, a comparison platform uh, using a spreadsheet. And that was kind of my, not only the validation of this idea, but also when I started to uh, get Compare Health developed, uh, it was kind of the foundation or blueprint of this is how I want it to look, but I'm certainly open to ideas on on how to build that. Um, but I learned, you know, so I basically, I found a development firm that I've been working with over the past year, uh, recently had a switch who is now, uh, so these new developers are helping roll out phase two. Um, so it's been a big learning journey because I learned very quick that the language of a spreadsheet and language of tech of uh, software development are very different, especially when it comes to rate calculations and determining all those moving parts. Uh, but it you know it was a fun challenge to kind of sort that all out. So yeah, in terms of the uh, the underlying software code, that's something that you know I kind of oversaw. Um, and it, it was actually, it played to a bit of a strength too, because I didn't necessarily know the limitations of software coding. I felt like I was able to kind of make suggestions that maybe in their eyes, they didn't necessarily think of the developers. And so I feel like that kind of brought some, certain features to life that otherwise, you know, if I looked at it from a coding perspective, uh, it could have potentially limited some of the great things that are currently in the platform. So, but yeah, I, and then I guess like I've had other experiences too with software, again, not developing it, but just an idea. So when I was in university, I found when, you know, iPhone apps were a big thing, I created this app called Drunkify. So it's basically an app that turns a message drunk. So you would put in a message uh, you would shake it and then, you know, can a can of beer would spray on the screen and then it would turn your message drunk. So it would change names. It would swap out letters. Names would change and, you know, all these funny things. And uh, so I, I learned a little bit about development through that. It was a fun little project when apps were big. But yeah, that's basically the extent of my technology background. It's funny when apps were big because, yeah, we've kind of gone full circle on this now, right? Where we go back to a lot of web-based applications instead of full-on downloadable apps. It's an interesting shift. Um, so yeah. can we now delve into some of the nuts and bolts of individual health insurance products, Evan? This is where I think you're going to um, hopefully teach me a thing or two. So what do you see as some of the differences when it comes to how carriers or products um, set their premium? Yeah, so this is definitely a, a shocking, uh, at least for me, it was shocking to find out when you look at all these different carriers, they, they there tends to be more differences than similarities on how carriers will calculate their rates. So for example, uh, one carrier has a single rate, a couple rate, and a family rate. Uh, and they will calculate the rate based on the oldest person. So if you have a 30-year-old and 40-year-old, they're a couple and they have two kids, well, three or more people, that's the family rates. And then they would base it on the 40-year-old uh, because that's the oldest person. So it would be the family table for a 40-year-old. Uh, other plans will look at adding up the rates individually. So if you have a, 
you know, a couple, uh, you would use the couples table and you would add up the rate for the 30 year old rate for the 40 year old, and then each of the rates for the two kids. Uh, sometimes you have variability on rates based on the number of children. So back to that Costco analogy. So there's one provider where they have different rates. If you have one to two children covered, or you have three or more children covered. And then on top of that, the rates vary based on the ages of each of those kids. So I guess the more children you have, you know, the cost per child will drop uh, if you have three or more children. Uh, and then you also have variability in how rates are calculated based on preliminary questions. So one provider, they have four different types of rates. They have a guaranteed acceptance rate, which is basically no medical questions. That one will be the most expensive. And then you have on the flip side, something called a preferred plus rate, which is your most, um, it's basically the lowest cost because you're providing medical in exchange for uh, lower, lower rates. Uh, and then, you know, basically there's lots of variability on top of that, even how a couple is defined. So some plans will define a couple as a, uh, you know, common law, married, you know, typical um, two people, but some will also consider a single parent and child as a couple rate because it's two people. And then they base the rate on the, on the adults in that case. So a couple doesn't always mean a couple from a health insurance point of view. This is all very interesting. Uh, and I am surprised, you're right, at the uh, variation here. I'm so used to like life insurance, right? With life insurance, yes, you get little premium differentials here and there. But, you know, generally speaking, you take a turn 10 policy for a 35-year-old, you put it at five insurers, and notwithstanding health underwriting differences, you're going to find the premium pretty close. I think that's fair. Yep. Yeah. Sounds like there's quite a bit more variability here. So that's that's interesting. Um, now, what about the differences then as far as coverage provided? So I, I assume, I mean, I know this differs based on the level of underwriting, but what else do you see differ as far as, uh, as far, and you, you're talking with your mom, how important para, certain pyramids were for her. Mm -hmm. So what, what differs here as far as coverage provided? Yeah. So actually one of my most popular LinkedIn posts, and I had no idea that this would be the most popular one, is I made a matrix of uh, certain health plans that are available. And then uh, that's in each column. And then in the first column, I listed on each of the rows, uh, different benefits. So prescription drugs, vision, all the paramedical practitioners, uh, you know, dental, orthodontics, uh, ambulance, so things like that. And then basically, I would indicate a green check mark if it's a covered benefit, a red X if it isn't covered through that plan, and then a yellow dollar sign if it's an optional benefit. And if you look at this thing from a distance, it looks like Christmas. There is a lot of green and red, and there is no consistency when you look at these different plans, what's covered and what's not. So back to the specifics of like paramedical practitioner, you typically have your ones that are most popular. So massage therapist, chiropractor, you know, athletic therapist. But what you'll find with certain plans is those paramedical practitioners are not covered. Uh, even under the same provider, you will have variability in kind of their bronze, silver, gold, or whatever they choose to call those products different paramedical practitioners sometimes going from the very basic plan to the very advanced plan. Uh, and then you throw in on top of that other plans that offer optional benefits. So there are certain providers out there that offer uh, kind of an a la carte, you know, you get your base benefits and then you can build on top of that. So do you want prescription drugs optional, and there's a couple options, or do you want dental, or do you want travel, and there's different durations. So it's great, because that provides choice, and it gives the client the opportunity to build a plan based on what their needs are. But there comes a point when you start, okay, well, this is one provider, if you throw in nine other providers on top of that, as an example, and all of their products, how do you know which ones have the optional benefits to price in or not? So you're going to see big variability in basically all areas. Uh, but paramedical practitioners is a big one, especially mental health providers. 
where, you know, some will cover psychologist. Um, yeah, psychologist is a common one, but some you'll notice won't cover social workers. Some won't cover clinical counselors. Uh, some won't cover, you know, psychotherapists. So, it, you know, when it comes to mental health and the importance there, and I'm seeing lots of plans increasing the coverage, it's really good to know, well, what is mental health coverage mean? Um, and, and knowing those details and seeing them apples to apples, I, I feel is very important to anyone looking at these plans. Because the last thing is you want to buy a plan. And then three months later, a client uses a benefit they think is covered. And then they find out it's actually not. Um, can you talk a little bit more, Evan, about the, like, what would be some examples of optional add-on coverage? Yeah. So when you look at, okay, so there's, there's quite a few moving pieces. Like, was there any specifics or just like general, what I find yeah, with certain... general examples here, I think would be good. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, with some plans you will see upgrades. Uh, so typically you have a base plan that includes certain benefits uh, like let's say vision coverage, and then they have an option to enhance that coverage or upgrade that particular benefit. Uh, so, you know, you typically, here's your, here's what's included, and then here's kind of a top-up option. So that's one category. Some are either, you will only be covered for this benefit if you add on this particular option. So prescription drugs, you see that with some plans where you add on optional prescription drugs. Some will offer multiple options. Uh, so there's one provider where optional prescription drugs, there's one option that's only going to cover conditions that manifest itself after the plan is started. And then there's another option that's a more uh, comprehensive option that will cover pre-existing drug coverage. Uh, so any sort of pre-existing drugs that client is currently taking would be covered and they set a certain cap for that. Uh, then you also see on the dental side, and optional dental can mean a number of different things. So you could have optional dental that covers just basic dental. You could have optional dental that covers basic dental and major dental. There's one provider that has optional dental that just covers major dental. So your crowns, bridges, inlays, onlays, dentures. And then you have other uh, plans that cover optional dental where it covers basic dental, major dental, and orthodontics. So optional dental, that's kind of an umbrella term for a number of different, you know, um, categories of, of dental. So it's it's navigating all these different, uh, you know, changes. So I would say it's either as an upgrade that you typically see with optional, or it's basically here's an option, uh, take it or leave it. And then the last one that I find is with travel. Uh, so travel could either be you get a certain number of days included, anything over a certain duration, you add on an optional benefit. And then for, in other cases, you have different durations. So you have one provider that covers 30, 60, or 90 days. So you pick the duration that's best. Others have 15, 30, 48, you know, and, and so you tend to see different durations of, of travel uh, being optional as well. And then you kind of pick the, the option based on the trip duration that would be best for the client. So it's a lot. And and this is just kind of a tip of the iceberg. And we haven't even gone into, you know, what's included, what's not, and you know, the different variabilities of that too. And I I won't I won't go into it. Don't worry. <laughs> I might ask you. Let's see where we end up here. But um and do you think that there's places where um the individual consumer is shopping where there's actually not that much difference when it comes time to actually use the plan? Uh, so seeing something that's quite common across the board? Yeah, I can give you an example. Like one that I think about here is vision care. You mentioned vision care already. And yep. I think a lot of people have the perception that vision care is, you know, an attractive benefit. I think when you get down to the numbers that it, it actually seldom makes good fiscal sense to buy vision care. I, it, do you see where I'm going with this, Evan? Or is there a different I do. example? Is my vision care yeah. example misguided here? No, no, no. I, I hear where you're coming from for sure. Yeah, typically on personal health plans, and there are exceptions to this rule. So uh, take this with a grain of salt. But with, um, with certain benefits, you tend to see uh, that it's capped. So vision coverage, it's very common that you see vision offered 
on average, and again, there's going to be uh, amounts that are out of this range, anywhere from 100 to 250. Uh, and you think of the cost of a pair of glasses, it's usually a lot more. Um, most plans uh, will cover vision coverage. And again, there are cases where there aren't. Uh, so if people are looking at vision coverage, yeah, it's very difficult to find a plan where you're going to be able to cover a full pair of glasses. And that also goes for group coverage. So that shouldn't be that far of a stretch if people have had coverage previously. Uh, the most I've seen uh, is typically on that upgraded option is $500, but that's every three years instead of every two years. That's typical. But actually, uh, an example uh, that you had with, with vision that made me think of something is uh, dental. So lots of people, they obviously want dental. But when you look at the cost, so when dental is optional, sometimes it's a good practice to look at what is the cost of the plan without optional dental? And what is the cost with dental? And then you look at that cost difference, you multiply that by 12 to figure out how much am I actually paying for this additional dental benefit? And then it's a question of, am I going to get that type of value out? Uh, you know, and, and really, is it just a way of financing the dental cost? Because it's not really in a lot of cases in insurance per se, you think of dental accidents, but that dental accidents is separate, typically from basic dental, for example. So if you're looking at, let's say, for example, a plan and adding in basic dental, so your cleanings, x-rays, fillings, and let's say that costs an extra 30 bucks a month, well, $360 a year, if you pay out of pocket, are you going to be paying more than that? And that's a question sometimes that can be difficult to answer. But the interesting piece about that too, is I've seen cases where adding on dental optional dental actually lowers the cost of the plan. I, I don't know why that is. I think it might be an error on the actual pricing of it. But if you look at the plan without optional dental, and then you add on op optional dental, it actually lowers the cost. And I can't think of any justifiable reason from an insurance company's point of view why you would necessarily want to do something like that. But that was one thing I found surprising. So sometimes that cost difference can be so negligible that it just makes sense to add it. Others times, maybe not. That's interesting. I, you, you have to wonder if it's an inefficiency or a, yeah, like an error, or whatever is going on there. And ultimately, like I agree, even on the group side, dental generally only makes sense because of the tax advantage. And yeah, so and absolutely. Then catastrophic, but catastrophic is typically medical coverage anyway. So exactly. And, and yeah. you find too with dental, so some people want orthodontics in coverage. It's uh, typically with orthodontics or things that require, um, you know, typically more money for a procedure. So anything major dental related or orthodontics, you're either going to see a lower co-insurance amount and or a waiting period. So it's not uncommon to see on personal health plans, waiting periods of one or two years before those particular benefits kick in. Even for vision coverage, uh, there is a provider out there that uh, has a one-year waiting period before vision kicks in. Um, and I guess it's a cost containment. They don't want people buying the plan, using the benefits, then canceling it because vision is pretty popular. Uh, but I, you know, I have seen that variability too. So yeah, certain benefits may be inconsequential, but looking at the other details such as a waiting period when the benefits kick in you also see that sometimes as well that's uh i mean this echoes a lot of what we talk about on the group insurance side i you know can point to past episodes with Lori power talking about this where the, you know where is there actually risk and where is the insurer able to transfer that risk where it actually makes financial sense uh, so on that note can we move to um use cases so given some of the limitations, and I think you've done a good job of exploring these limitations, um, just broadly, is there a use case where you see individual health insurance and you say, yes, that is like the ideal case that somebody who should have the product, this is, you know, this maybe brings you back to your days selling individual life insurance. Um, what do you see out there that, that works well? Ever? Yeah, I you know, I think back to my my mom's example of, of buying coverage. I mean, at the end of the day, 
uh, her and my dad wanted coverage in place that provides peace of mind. You know, if they're strictly looking at it from a dollars in dollars out, you know, they're probably breaking even maybe they're paying a little bit more into the plan. But that's that's the cost of having that peace of mind, because there's a lot of other benefits that are covered in a plan uh, that don't normally get talked about in the early discussions of a sales discussion for a health plan is what are the things that are covered that are unforeseen? You know, you think about accidental dental, you think about ambulance, you think about, you know, uh, other types of um, medical equipment or things that come up unforeseen where it could have a pretty significant impact without having coverage. And I think there's value in that. Uh, so I would say that's that's one example is not, I, I don't, you know, mean when I'm talking about all these differences to mitigate that there's certain benefits that all health plans include to a certain degree for those unforeseen expenses. Um, so I would say that's a big piece. The other piece that I'm finding too is, uh, you know, for certain people, uh, like even being self-employed and, and I mean, I'm not a tax expert, but I know this is something, uh, I remember you talking about in passing is, is the tax benefits of, of personal health coverage. And in certain circumstances, you know, being able to write off the premiums for tax purposes, and that could be of a benefit too. Uh, so I, I think there, there are situations there as well. Now, um, the last piece is the variability of plan costs. So I think there's kind of this typical thought that when you look at a health plan, if you want all the bells and whistles, you're paying a lot of money. Uh, but on the flip side, there are plans out there that are extremely inexpensive. Uh, they don't cost a lot, you know, kind of your bare bones plans. It doesn't have all the bells and whistles. And, and you're looking at a very reasonable premium to cover these unforeseen expenses and maybe, you know, a couple foreseen expenses like a par paramedical practitioner. So, you know, you don't have to necessarily spend a lot of money to get the value out of it. And that's where I think it comes down to being able to find those plans because there's a lot of different options, a lot of different variabilities. Uh, so just seeing those different options out there, because, you know, sometimes it might be similar to our discussion of a, a subscription cost. And what is a cost to a consumer where a it just it's kind of mindless? It just comes out of their account every month and it provides that peace of mind. And, and I would say that there's options out there, but everyone would define that a little bit differently when it comes to this. So just to maybe situate this a little bit, maybe you're paying like 30 bucks a month and you get catastrophic coverage, but no routine dental, no routine vision care, that kind of thing. That exactly. Yeah. So it, typically for those types of plans, I mean, this is just going off of uh, uh, from from what I've seen. But yeah, I mean, you could have a very basic plan, no prescription drug coverage, no dental, no travel, no hospital, uh, just your basic accidents, ambulance, some paramedical vision, uh, some medical equipment, you could be looking depending on your age and how many people it's covering um, 10, 15, 20 bucks a month, and then it goes up from there. So uh, the the less benefits you want, obviously, like anything else, the more bells and whistles, the more you pay for it. But yeah, there are certain base benefits out there where if you're just looking to set a very simple, you know, negligible coverage that may not check off all the boxes, yeah, you're not looking at uh, big premiums by any means. And I think $30 is a is a reasonable average for some of those plans that exist out there. Um, so now can we delve into some maybe more specific use cases, uh, starting with maybe the gig worker or somebody who does not have a, a regular single employer? Yeah, so there's, I mean, we're definitely finding this a lot more with, um, the the uses for personal health insurance so um people who i guess so i guess like different categories or like specifically gig workers yeah just i mean if that's where you want to go with it evan i'm comfortable how you answer the question but i'm sure. thinking here um you know take us away from the employee who has like a monday to friday nine to five steady paycheck and, and what do the other use cases look like here? Yeah, okay, I see what you mean. Um, yeah, so in, in terms of where 
individual health insurance makes sense is people who have gigs. So background on me before getting involved in financial services, and I'm still doing it a lot today, is uh, I'm a magician. So I uh, paid my way through university doing that. And it's something I still do on the side now for, for fun. It's something I enjoy doing. And so that kind of opened up the market to those types of individuals who do this for a living, and that's their income. So looking at the fact that most of them don't necessarily work a nine to five job covered through a group benefits plan, you know, they earn through the different shows that they do. Uh, that's just one very simple case of someone who could benefit from personal health insurance. And then you look at all the other cases, especially in these last couple of years, happening with COVID, where people are leaving their employer, whether it's due to termination, retirement, maybe they want to become self-employed, and even other cases too, where even employees work in the nine to five that had group benefits. And now the employer, uh, based on, for whatever reason, terminates the group benefits plan. And now the employees are, are left without a plan. That could be a situation too. And depending on that category you fit in, where if you're coming off of a group plan or group benefits got terminated from you, that opens up the doors to look at some other health plan options called, and they go by different names, retiree health plans, replacement, rollover, conversion health plans that are only available to buy if you've been terminated from previous, typically group coverage uh, after a certain number of days, you're given a very small window, typically 60 to 90 days to apply for these plans. Uh, other And the benefit to those ones being you don't have to complete a medical to qualify for it. Do you find that the retiree health plans are generally, I don't know, better is a good word to use here, but you know, do they do they price favorably versus going out and, and going through an underwriting process to get your own? Or is it kind of like on the individual side where conversion is not necessarily a great deal for the person who can go through underwriting. Yeah, I mean, there's always going to be exceptions for all cases, but it. I think a similar analogy is you think about uh, typical underwritten life insurance product, and then your simple no medical, no medical uh, life insurance, and the differences of those. Right, you pay more uh, when there's an underwriting when there's underwriting risk involved with it. Um, so for personal health insurance, for example, what you typically see is the plans that are only available as a rollover or conversion, where you're given a window to apply and there's no medical, you typically see the cost for those being higher and the benefit caps being lower and the exact opposite for the types of plans where there is a medical questionnaire involved, where they are asking questions, where they will exclude pre-existing conditions, you tend to see higher maximums or caps and lower premiums. So there are going to be cases where each makes sense. Um, Typically, if people have underlying, you know, significant underlying health conditions, then the conversion plans may be the only products uh, that uh, available to them. So yeah, that might be a perfect case for them. But if you have someone who's quote unquote healthy, uh, that might open up some options and then be good to compare. Okay, well, what do you find favorable? What do you want in a health plan? And then comparing those costs. Uh, but yeah, typically replacement, retiree, conversion plans, higher costs, not typically as high caps. And then the exact opposite for the personal health insurance, where there is, in most cases, a medical component or a medical questionnaire to complete. But do you get into it all? I'm ignorant about this, Evan. Sorry. Do you get into it all? Um, insurance for people who are temporarily in Canada, for example? So right now, those uh, personal health insurance is meant for people that have provincial health cards, uh, because provincial health is, uh, there's they're involved in, in the paying of these claims. So um, if they don't have a provincial health card, they do not qualify for any of these personal health plans, retiree rollover plans, uh, so that it wouldn't apply to them. Yeah, so like super visa insurance or whatever, but that's a whole separate beast 
Yeah, that's okay, right. For- a whole separate B super visa visitors to Canada. Yeah, that is a whole separate domain. One I hope to, and I mean this certainly, uh, you know, take this at face value. This might be something years down the road, but um, you know, I'd love to expand Comparo to look at those products. But yeah, for the individual health and dental, it's meant for people with uh, provincial health coverage because that is typically the first question you see in any application. Do all applicants something along the warnings of do all participants or applicants have uh, provincial health coverage or territorial health coverage yes or no if you answer no it kicks you out it's it's the knockout question yeah. um, and then uh tra- like so there's travel insurance add-ons you're not doing comparison of standalone travel insurance policies here are you Evan? not yet no <laughs> hopefully down the road uh but yeah it, there is uh when a plan does include travel uh, whether it's optional or included, then yeah, in, in the case of optional, it's going to price in the option that's uh, based on the ideal duration that the client chooses. And then it goes into other details, like provides like, what is the stability clause? What's the expiration? What's the maximum? Is it annual or lifetime? Is there a deductible? Because there's going to be variability on all those answers depending on the plan. Stability clause being my favorite uh, thing to pick on with travel insurance. Um so I, I think it's impressive you were able to put this together, just given the sort of uh, I don't know, technology um, roadmap that we see across various insurers. Um, how much cooperation did you get from insurers here? Or how much of this is stuff that you um, just cobble together by straight willpower? What's the, what's the, the sort of uh, maybe barrier to entry is the question here, Evan? Sure. So when you look at individual health and dental coverage uh, comparison software, it doesn't exist before Compare Health. I mean, there's websites doing it, but typically they're doing it for lead generation purposes, and it's not to the same degree of what Compare Health is. Uh, the wonderful thing about individual health and dental plans is all of this information is publicly available. You can go on any of these providers' websites, you can see their plan designs, what's covered, uh, the rates, uh, all of them uh, have quoting engines, so you can you know run quotes individually. That's typically what I find advisors use too. Some advisors might have their own advisor portal that they'll use, but typically they might be using the client-facing side. Uh, so that's how I'm actually gathering info from all of these different providers. And my tool is strictly for educational and informational purposes, showing all these different comparisons. Um, And what I'm doing is I'm looking at, I cross-reference providers' PDFs, I'm cross-referencing with their contracts, and then information on their website. And there's been uh, a number of cases where I'm actually finding inconsistencies uh, in the provider's info about certain details, maybe about expiration age or benefit maximums. And if I notice that, that's information that I make sure to make a point like, hey, on the website, it says this. And on the contract, it says that. Like just to help educate and inform anyone, you know, the advisors using this, like might be something to verify with the provider. So one thing I made sure of right from the beginning when I started this platform is, uh, you know, to work. I, I work very closely with an IP lawyer in Winnipeg. Uh, so they are very well informed with what I'm doing. And they gave me a lot of, uh, you know, legal opinions and um, advice on how to structure compare health to make sure that everything is, uh, is good. And, you know, that I'm presenting it in a, in a fair way. And because now I'm no longer in financial services, everything here is going to be unbiased. I'm not going to take sponsorship from, uh, insurance companies to you know promote their product. I'm doing my best to make sure that all the information here is presented in a clear, concise, black and white way that's very objective. And it's not meant to be solely relied on. It's meant to be kind of a, okay, this is kind of a very quick overview. But if you want to get into specifics, they can hyperlink, click on a plan, and then be redirected to the provider's website and get all the remaining info. Uh, on there. So that's, that's how I've approached it right now with, uh, with my, you know, with Compare Health. And actually, it's been great, too, because some 
providers have actually reached out and they just want to know what I'm doing. And, you know, I've set up demo calls with them and so show them a little bit more. And, you know, they've come back and said, yep, like, you know, we're fine with your, uh, our plans on your platform, just some things to keep in mind, which are things that we had already discussed previously. So that's what I want is there to be collaboration and, and you know, putting information in, in one area, because I feel like there's many benefits that, uh, you know, that kind of go unspoken about why something like this would would do well in the marketplace. But obviously, I sound a little biased. Biased in that sense, but I get but no bias towards specific products. So that's that's right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, now, any other so from where you are, you've already talked about maybe some potential future concepts here, the way that you've built Compare Health, then, is there anything you can see adding in um, to the existing platform? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm always thinking of ideas and then it comes down to, okay, well, what's possible now? What can I implement? What do I have the budget for? Uh, and then also, what is it that people actually want? Because when I launched my first version that was geared toward MGAs, I made a lot of assumptions and hypotheses on this is what I think will work. And I learned very quickly, there's certain things they loved about it and certain things they hated about it. And so there's a lot of lines of code that are now sitting in a virtual graveyard that will never see the light of day again. Um, so, but part of this journey is I really want to make something that users find valuable. That is so incredibly important to me. Uh, so part of it is gaining this valuable feedback from users about what do they want. Uh, and that's where version two is the first step of many steps of relaunching and giving users what they want. So for example, uh, on version two, they want uh, a short list. So they look at all the matching plans and they want to be able to pick a couple. So now I have a shortlist feature. Others wanted an export function, not only to PDF, but to Excel. So I have added a shortlist function. Uh, now people want, you know, other um, advisors want to be able to pick the providers and obviously the provinces that they represent. So there's going to be filters allowing that. So it's showing the information that they want. And then also, you know, an ability to for clients to run their own quotes. So this is all being implemented into version two. Beyond that is hopefully the expansion to other similar health or product categories or living benefits like your travel insurance, visitors to Canada. I've had great conversations with some colleagues, uh, thanks to wonderful introductions by you, Jason, um, you know, to eventually look at expanding into the group space as well and looking at comparisons of group and it seems like there's some really good platforms out there. So looking at collaborative approaches. And then the last piece, and this is one I thought of just last night. So my best thinking happens when I can't sleep two in the morning is a, uh, a reasons why component. So, you know, maybe looking at you run a comparison and then, you know, AI is all the rage. Maybe it's not AI, but it's basically it kind of spits out a very simple, you know, detailed uh, reasons why that the advisor can manipulate. And then it creates like more of a justification as here's why this plan was chosen, whether or not that makes it into version three, who knows, but, you know, back to the main fundamental of, of giving people something they want. So a lot of these changes that are going to be in future evolutions are going to be driven from a user saying they love this, they hate this and, and making changes based on that. I'm going to throw something. So I know you said you listened to the Chris Gorey episode preparing for this, and I'm wondering that's exactly that who I was referring to. Yeah, <laughs> right. So yeah, okay, that's good. Um, for those that haven't listened, Chris talked about reasons why on group benefits, which is a place that doesn't get done. So he, he rightly pointed out that uh, that very few group advisors are doing reasons why letters when we should be doing it on every insurance sale. So that's solid, and I like it. Yeah. Um, well, actually, uh, just on that point really quick, Jason, is, um, you know, when the approach from the CLHIA was released and they talked about needs-based selling practices or needs-based sales practices and uh, reasons why letters, uh, life insurance and personal health insurance are both grouped in that same category of, re of requiring to follow all of the recommendations by the CLHIA. 
What's interesting to me is you look at life insurance, there's lots of comparison softwares available, there's lots of needs based analysis tools available for a type of product that and I don't want to sell short of what that product does, but it's one claim. That's what it is, right? And then you look at personal health insurance, you could have potentially hundreds of claims over the policy's lifetime. And yet, it's being held to the same needs based standards as life insurance but there's nothing on the personal health insurance side. So I'm not saying that Compare Health is the perfect solution for this because it's, I think, just one extra tool to help in those discussions. Um, but that's where I hope to see, uh, you know, Compare Health at least be used in helping in those discussions when it comes to personal health. Because again, if a client says, I want these five things in a plan, and then they sell a plan that maybe has three or four of those things, you know, that could present a potential issue in a number of different capacities. So that's where I feel like there's a bit of a gap, especially with these changes of, uh, you know, the compliance and needs-based selling portion of an advisor's business. That's a great point. Um, you know, anything we can do to enhance compliance, right? Um, right. Now, I even very uh, comprehensive, very thorough here. You've given lots to digest. Is there anything else I should have asked you that I didn't ask, Kevin. I think that's that's basically it. I mean, this is something that uh, is, you know, this platform is very important to me, and and I really want to change the way on how advisors sell personal health. I want advisors to look at personal health and be. Uh, confident in it and not something to necessarily shy away from. And I found that with some advisors, they would, you know, outsource these leads and not want to sell it because the time commitment involved and, and clients, you know, advisors want to help their clients, but it can be very difficult sometimes with the different moving pieces that personal health insurance presents. Um, so I, I really want ad this tool to enable advisors to be open to talking about this product, just like any other type of insurance product they have on their shelf. And then the last piece that I would say is something I, I wanted to emphasize is the importance to me of rate accuracy and design accuracy. Uh, it, you know, I've had it happen, not even in insurance, uh, but for travel, um, like looking on uh, a travel website, wanting to book a trip somewhere, and then I go to book, I click pay now, and then it's like, oops, sorry, the pricing of it was incorrect. And that was the most frustrating experience. So that mixed with other things is I, it's extremely important to me that because I'm sourcing all this data publicly, I have done numerous hours of, you know, hundreds of hours of testing, reviewing the plan designs, plan rates, you know, just to make sure that when you put in information and you see an output, that information is going to be accurate. Now, there's a lot of moving pieces with it. Uh, and I mean, I'm, I'm one human doing this testing. Uh, so, you know, always double check that info. But that is something that is at the heart of Compare Health is accuracy, because the last thing I want is there to be inconsistencies. So I would say that's the only other piece for something like this is there's, um, you know, a lot of moving parts, but, you know, I have very thorough and frequent checks to make sure that any sort of changes in rates, designs, and existing designs and rates are all accurate and, and up to date on my platform. Perfect. Thanks so much, Evan. You've been a great resource here. I love that you're delving into this area that's not well explored and uh, really appreciate just bringing this new offering to the industry. Thanks for your time today, Evan. Yeah, thanks so much, Jason. It was a pleasure to be a guest on your podcast today. I know we're over an hour. I have uh, just one point I want to make here. Uh, before I do that, the number for this episode is eight. The number for this episode is eight. And the point I want to make here is Evan talked about some pricing anomalies. That's sort of the teaser for this one. Um, and you might remember uh, that I believe it was our last episode with Dave Patriarch as well. There was some discussion there about pricing anomalies. And I find this is not unusual on the sort of health and dental side, not very common on the life insurance side, you see a little bit of it. But when we get into health and dental coverage, um, lots of pricing anomalies here, Evan talks about it with um, adding dental and reducing the overall premium on the plan. 
Uh, and then another place that I've seen it recently is with uh, employment insurance, where um, you know we know now that EI sickness benefits are 26 weeks. And intuitively, you would think that extending your elimination period on your um, workplace disability plan to a 26-week elimination period from the old um, 17 weeks would decrease your premiums. That doesn't always happen. So don't take it for granted that what you intuitively think might change your premiums in a given direction will actually have that outcome. All right. Um, I hope you'll join me again in two weeks. I actually haven't recorded the next episode yet. And I have uh, two or three guests that are just sort of jockeying around for position right now. So I'm not actually sure who the next discussion will be with when I'm recording this. Uh, but I have lots of very cool guests lined up. Uh, and I want to just give a comment to um, one of our listeners who is, uh, he goes by a Twitter handle, uh, 416ash. I'm not sure who that is, but he listened to um, the uh, Jordan Ayton interview and asked me uh, to bring on another guest. And that guest then actually chimed in, gave me their email address. So I hope that all works out. And thanks. I don't know who 416ash is actually. So maybe DM me and just let me know who you are. But uh, that was pretty cool. Thanks very much and enjoy your continued studies. If you're listening to this episode and you're not already signed up for CE credits, this is a very easy thing to do. Just navigate over to businesscareercollege.com and you're going to sign up here for CE. Just subscribe. Currently, the pricing is $200 a year. We may be uh, introducing monthly pricing at some point, but as of today, we have a cost of $200 a year. And once you're signed up, then you can just go and listen to every episode within your subscriptions. Once you're logged in, you'll use my subscriptions here and you'll just go to the latest episode, which you'll scroll down to very near the bottom for. It doesn't matter which episode, you just scroll down and you find the one. So as of the time I'm recording this, the most recent episode is season four, episode 27. I can just start it right from here. I can do the quiz here. Once I'm done the quiz, then I can get my continuing education certificate very straightforward. Um, so I would just launch the course here and I can watch the episode from here. Uh, now, if you happen to be already listening to it on YouTube or whatever the case is, you can just navigate right into the quiz, you start your quiz, and you're just going to go through the whole thing. And then at the end of it, you'll be able to see your certifications. So we're going to bring up uh, designing small group products. We bring this up and we click on wall certificate and that's going to give me the CE certificate I need in order to maintain status wherever I happen to uh, need CE credits. So I really do encourage, I know that uh, out of our regular listeners, about 40% of you are listening to the episode for CE credits. That's about 60% who are listening out of general interest or whatever it is. Um, and I really think this is an easy way to get your CE credits, 200 bucks a year, pretty reasonable price. And as you can see from the certificate here, so, and as you hear me discuss at the beginning of the episode, we have a broad range of approvals for all of our courses. I'd like to thank uh, Joe Tong. Joseph is our editor, both for video and audio content. And Joe does a lot of good work to make sure that these episodes look and sound good, despite my better efforts. Um, I'd like to thank uh, Maria Nguyen. Maria makes sure that the episodes all get approved for CE credits. Uh, Veronica Tiber does the quality assurance through that process. And then we have a strong marketing team that makes sure that all of our content gets out there so that people can find us and uh, take advantage of the learning opportunity they might not have known about.